my goodness, what a great presence of God in the place this morning, huh? Man, God is definitely doing some things here today. You know, from time to time, we had the opportunity to have some fun and powerful moments here at Eastgate Church, and today is one of those days. Today, we get to, I guess, publicly let you know about a beautiful couple that have already been serving this capacity in our church for some time. But I want to ask uh, Jim and Keeley still, or yeah, yeah, come on up here. Come soon right over here. Make sure you're in camera shots. Jim and Keeley have been a part of the, uh, the leadership team here at Eastgate for a while, just serving and volunteering. Um, but uh, from time to time, People will go through different seasons in life, you know, and God will move you through times where you just need a season of rest in ministry. And uh, our student ministry pastors, Brad and Rhiannon Sims, are going into one of those seasons right now. They just needed time to catch their breath and to rest a little bit and soak up some God and let God speak to them um, about what the, their next ministry is going to look like here in the church or, or wherever he may or may not lead them. But it's funny, as soon as God began speaking to Brad and Rhiannon about um, stepping away and taking break, he kind of started speaking to Jim and Keeley about stepping in and taking what they do up to the next level. So today, I want to publicly install Jim and Keeley still into the, uh, the leadership position of student ministry directors here at Eastgate Church. Can we give God some praise for that this morning? Now, we like to do a lot of symbolic things here at the church, and I have something that I want to give you guys. Um, nothing super fancy, but the symbolism in this is powerful. And I'll show, step up here and show everyone this. It's just a simple box, but in it is a compass and a nail. And leadership, especially in the church, it's your job to seek the face of God and to hear his voice for a clear direction on your calling and what he's calling you to do in the ministry, what those next steps look like. I want to challenge you to always be people to seek the face of God first. Not clever ideas. Don't bank out on creativity. Listen to God and do what he says. We serve a creative God, but it's important that we listen to him each step, one step at a time. Amen? So you're in charge of leading not just yourself spiritually, but the people that God is entrusting you on your leadership team and then the students that you lead. Also, there's a nail in this little box because with leadership comes sacrifice. It's not about you. It's about God's call on your life and being obedient to what he has called you to do. That's why very few people, very few people pick up the mantle of leadership in the church because leadership in the church means sacrifice. It means denying yourself, picking up that cross, and following Jesus on another level because people look to you as an example of what a relationship with God is supposed to look like. People will look to you as an example on how to conduct themselves, and our students are going to look to you, and whether you know it or not, whether they let you know because those kids can look tough and hardcore and like they're not listening, but they listen, they pay attention, and they're watching you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to always lay down your life as a beautiful sacrifice to Jesus and trust him 
follow him, you'll always land on solid ground. Amen? I'm going to give this to you guys. Say welcome to the leadership team. Even though you've already been serving, we're publicly doing this right now today. Um, We want to say thank you to Pastors Brad and Rhiannon for years of service here at the church. They could not be with us here today because of something that came up. Can we give God praise for Brad and Rhiannon? They may be watching online right now. Guys, we love you. Thank you for everything that you've done, for everything that you're doing, and everything you will do for the kingdom of God and serving here at Eastgate Church. Guys, I want to pray over you. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in and through your ministry in the years to come. These guys don't just have a heart for student ministry, but they have a powerful heart for outreach as well. So you're going to see them taking leadership and outreach in the church and getting us out there in the community like we never have before. And I'm so excited about that. God's given them a lot of creative ideas and vision and things that we can be doing. And you'll see the student ministry helping with some of that, and you'll see them leading in the church in that way as well. It's going to be a great season ahead of us here at Eastgate. If you would, everyone, please stand with me. If you can, let's stretch our hands towards these two awesome people. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we lift up Jim and Keeley to you. God, we thank you for their hearts to serve you. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to step out and be obedient to your calling on their lives. Lord, I pray that your anointing and your power and your presence would rest on them in a mighty way. Lord, that you would give them wisdom to lead and to guide and to disciple and to train. Lord, that you would give them creativity in reaching the next generation that's coming up. Father, give them the very words of life to speak over a generation that so many people are writing off. But last time I checked, you don't give up on anyone. Lord, use these two to raise up a generation that are passionate about you, that are committed to you, that have a heart for you, and that want to reach this world for you. Lord, we install them in this place of leadership in the church today to your glory and to your honor. Lord, we look forward to fruitful years of service ahead. God, we give you praise and we give you glory and we thank you for what you're going to do in their lives and through their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Let's give God praise this morning. We can do better than that, guys. Let's bring these guys in in style. Come on. I love y'all so much. You guys are awesome. We're hugging in COVID days, breaking the law. They did it with full consent. Love it. How can you not hug awesome people? Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about what God's going to be doing. Hey, if you got your Bibles or your tablets, open them up to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. We're going to have some fun today. How many of you know that God gives us choices? God's always given us a choice. He gave us a choice in the Garden of Eden. We didn't make the best choice in that situation. He said, eat from any tree in this garden that you want to, Except for that one, and we bought into deception, and we ate the fruit from the wrong tree, and we paid the price for it. But he's always given us a choice. All through the Old Testament, you see God giving people a choice to choose to follow him or to not. Because God is a God that gives us free will. 
He's never been one to step in and impose himself on us and turn us into mindless puppets. We choose to worship him. We choose to love him. We choose to accept his word. We choose to do that. He's a God that gives us free will. When Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for every sin, for every person in this room, we still have the opportunity to choose to accept what Jesus did on the cross or to not. We choose. We have a choice whether or not we're going to live our lives in such a way that bring glory to God. We're going to choose whether or not we live our lives according to his word. We're going to choose whether or not we accept Jesus truly as our Lord and Savior and submit our lives to him. Now, if we choose to not do that, we land on ground that's not real stable. We open ourselves up to consequences for decisions that we make. But I think a lot of times people feel like God is judging them and pouring his wrath out on them because of things that they do in their lives. And I want to tell you something this morning. None of us, none of us have experienced the wrath of God poured out on us in our lives. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross when he poured his judgment out on Jesus while Jesus bore our sins. Amen? The wrath of God was poured out there. The wrath of God has been stayed from then until now. I think they're having a little bit of trouble with the light, so don't let that distract you this morning. We'll just roll with it, okay? I'm not going to let it bother me. You guys don't let it bother you. God poured his wrath out on the cross, not on us. But there's going to come a time when that's not going to be the case. And we need to understand that as a church. We need to understand that for everyone watching online who may or may not be taking this thing with God seriously. We need to understand that God's wrath is only going to be held back for so long. And in the tribulation... We're going to see God's wrath poured out on this earth like we have never seen before in history. Now, we've seen consequences for bad decisions, and we've seen God's correction brought into people's lives to try to steer them like a loving father to a place where they have a, a right relationship with Jesus. But we have not seen the wrath of God poured out or the judgment of God poured out like we are going to see in the book of Revelation through the tribulation years. It's going to be a time that you don't want to be a part of. It's going to be a time that you want to skip if you possibly can. Listen, it is imperative that we make sure that our hearts are right with God because there is no guarantee that what we're about to read through here in the next few minutes, there's no guarantee that this is not going to happen in our lifetime. There's no guarantee that this won't happen in the lifetime of our children. That's why it's important for us to live a life that lines up with the word of God so that we give an example to our kids that makes them want to emulate what they see in us and see that God is real and then so accept Jesus themselves and live it out in their lives because they could very well be walking through this. And we want to make sure that as parents, we're equipping our children for the days to come. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. What a happy, joy, joy way to get into a message this morning. Can you guys give me permission to share what God's put on my heart to give you today? 
you guys watching online, you're not here to speak, so tough. Uh, but everybody here said yes, so you're stuck with it. Revelation chapter 6. Last week, we talked about the Antichrist. We talked about his role, what he was going to do. This week, I want to walk you through the beginning of God's wrath and judgment being poured out on this earth. What is the point of reading this today and going through this? One, it's important that you know what's coming up. And two, I want you to understand that we don't have to, us, we don't have to go through this. Not just through the tribulation, but more importantly, we don't have to put ourselves in a position to make bad decisions in our life today. Or to put ourselves in a position to have to be corrected by God today. Much less fall under his wrath like we're going to read about here. So we're going to jump into this tribulation period where Jesus begins to open up the seals, the first wave of judgment that's going to come across this earth during the tribulation period. You guys ready for this? It'll be very sobering. Revelation 1, or chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as a lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. And I watched... And there was before me a white horse, and its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. The first seal that's open is going to release the Antichrist into the earth to be able to subdue it, conquer it, and have his way with it. Now, when we think Antichrist and conqueror, like, I don't know how it works with you, but mentally I start thinking about dictators in times gone by and people that have wrought evil and destruction on the world. And probably one of the most prominent ones is going to be this guy they're about to show you a picture of Hitler. This guy attempted to take over the world. This guy executed devastation and judgment on this world during that time like we had not seen come since probably Alexander the Great. He systematically slaughtered the Jewish people. He was not the Antichrist. This guy is kindergarten compared to what the Antichrist is going to do. The Antichrist is going to operate in the miraculous. A question that came in last week, somebody said, hey, where is the Antichrist and the false prophet going to be getting their power from? The Bible says that they get their power from the dragon, that's Satan. Satan equips them to be able to not just go forth and politically subdue the world and, and through military might conquer the world for a period of time, but they will be able to work the miraculous Signs and wonders, calling down fire from heaven. It's going to be, you, you have never seen anything like this before. He's going to be a bad dude, connected to Satan himself. So the seven seals start out with this guy coming forth, setting a peace treaty with Israel, and then beginning to do his work to subdue the world. And it's important when you read the book of Revelation, guys, that when you read this, you understand that as you go through it, sometimes it looks like it's confusing, and it looks like the book of Revelation is jumping all over the place. One minute, we're talking about beasts with horns, and now we're, we're talking about um, you know, something happening in heaven with Jesus opening up seals. There are two, there are two, um, two things happening in two places at one time. You've got what's happening here on the earth, and you have what's happening in heaven all at the same time. And so the book of Revelation, 
as you read it, will jump back and forth between what's happening on the earth and what's happening in heaven. Jesus opening up the seals, and then later you'll see chapters that bear out the destruction um, on the earth because of that and what's going on. Okay, um, Don't let that confuse you. The book of Revelation by itself, if you don't use it with Daniel or the book of Ezekiel to help give insight into timelines on what's happening can be confusing too. That's why it's important to let the Bible interpret the Bible and let the Bible give you timelines on what's happening. A lot of these things in the book of Revelation that seem incredibly picturistic and, and symbolic in nature, the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel break down into real practical terms so that you get a better picture of how this stuff is going to play out on the earth. The Antichrist is going to begin his march across the world, beginning initially with a ten-nation coalition. He's going to be unlike anything we've seen before, and that's just the beginning. Verse 3, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given the power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. In the first part of the seals, you, you see what we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse begin to come out. And no, that is not a wrestling team. All right. Tag team wrestling tried to take that. But these are bad dudes bringing bad judgments on the earth. Peace will be removed from the earth. When peace is removed from the earth... We're going to see riots and uprisings like we have never seen before, ever. Like we watch the news and we see pictures like this. We see, um, we see uprisings. We see the police having to sub subdue people who are violent on the streets. Not peaceful protests, by the way. Riots that are taking place. Cities burning, cars burning. We see these as isolated incidents in isolated cities and states in this country. And sometimes you see it in different places in the world. But when peace is removed from the earth, you will begin to see this right here. Civil uprisings like this happen on a global scale. Because there will be no peace. People will begin to systematically kill each other. Because with no peace comes violence. The Bible already talks about how the love of most will grow cold leading up into this tribulation period. So you've got people who have cold hearts, very little love, and now peace is taken from the earth. You'll begin to see this stuff. When peace is gone, uprisings will happen. You'll begin to see nations attacking nations like never before because where there is no peace, there is war. They'll try to take ground, try to take territory. There will be wars. It's like the whole world will be at war with itself in small pockets across the world. There will be no peace at all. And this is just the beginning. While this is happening, the Antichrist is working behind the scenes to establish himself. Skip down. To verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. He sounds like a fun guy. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like the voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, six pounds of barley for a day's wage, and do not damage the oil 
and the wine. There will be a global economic collapse. The world's economies, economies are going to collapse. Inflation is going to go through the roof. It says two pounds of wheat. Now, wheat, in this time, where the writer's writing, wheat was um, equivalent to a person's food for the day. That's what you would eat. That's what I would eat. Wheat to make bread or whatever else. You'll work a full day just to pay for the food for that day. Forget about your utilities. Forget about your house payment. Forget about your car payments. You'll just be trying to survive and have food on the table. All of your work will go towards buying food to stay alive. Um, six pounds of barley for a day. Which barley is what you would feed animals. So it's speaking to like economies and, and livestock. There's going to be there is going to be incredible pressure. We saw empty shelves like you're looking at right now at grocery stores at the beginning of this pandemic because people were selfish. Remember that where they all went and bought all the bread and all the milk and all the toilet paper? Why would people buy out all the toilet paper? I don't get that, man. Uh, They bought all the toilet paper, sent people out to the woods trying to find leaves and whatever else they could find to, to float through the storm. There was not a safe chihuahua in any house or neighborhood in the country. People were scrambling trying to figure that out, but we did that to ourselves. The food supplies were there. During this collapse, there's going to be a food shortage because of the impact on the economy. People won't be able to pay workers. Systems will begin to break down. The supply chain will begin to break down because there won't be anybody there to carry out the supply chain because there won't be anybody there. There won't be any money there to pay those people it'll systematically begin to collapse. Verse 7. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. Now this is different than the others because Death is coming out with a companion called Hades or Hell. So he's just not coming out by himself. He's got a sidekick. And they, and this is how we know that they were riding together because it says they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now think about this for a second, okay? This is the fourth seal. The Antichrist is loose on the earth doing his thing. Peace is gone from the earth right now. Civil unrest is exploding. Nations are becoming aggressive with each other and attacking each other. So you're seeing many conflicts and wars break out all over the earth. There is a global economic collapse as part of this. These all hooked together. And now this fourth horseman takes out on the earth and is given power along with Hades to kill one quarter of humanity on the earth. This is not a time period you want to be living in. If a quarter of the world were to die right now, that would be just a, just, just a smidge under two billion people. Two billion people through war, 
We haven't seen war that will break out at the scale like wars will begin. In the beginning, when peace is removed, you'll see skirmishes and conflicts. Now you're seeing major wars devastate cities. Devastate countries. To the tune of killing one-fourth of humanity. Not just through war, though, but also through famine. So now we've got a global economic collapse. On top of that now, there's going to be a global food shortage because of famine. People are going to starve to death because there's no food to feed them. We look at a picture like that right now in America, and it makes you want to take out your checkbook and send money to feed these kids. That's going to be us. There will be a huge shortage of supply. So, no peace, civil unrest, wars breaking loose, major wars beginning to erupt, famine breaking out on the earth, the shortage of food, and on top of that, we're going to see pestilence begin to sweep across the earth like never before. And so you're going to begin, your average neighborhood is going to look like this right here. You're going to see temporary hospitals set up, medical centers set up, FEMA camps set up to try to treat all the people who will be sick and struck with these plagues. You think COVID-19 wreaked havoc on the world? You haven't seen anything like this. The death rate on COVID, listen, no one should die from any disease. And I'm not making a lot of that. But the death rate for COVID-19, you know how small that is in comparison to the impact of what's going to be played because of these plagues playing into one-fourth of all humanity being wiped from the face of the earth and dying in part because of these plagues, in part because of famine, in part because of the wars that are going to break out on the earth. There will not be enough places to put the bodies, guys. Where are you going to store two billion dead bodies? Where are you going to bury two billion? Not, listen, globally, all of this is going to be happening. Not in an isolated place. This is going to be a global event as God begins to pour his wrath out on the earth. You don't want to be a part of this at all. And then, <laughs> I, I didn't give you the pictures, but then how about the wild beasts? How about the wild beasts? Because they'll be part of this too. Crazy when you start to think about all the chaos that is going to be erupting in this world. All of these seals will begin to play on each other. And the death toll will begin to pile up all the time. The Antichrist is working behind the scenes to establish his kingdom on this earth in the middle of all this chaos. He'll begin to produce solutions and answers to these problems that will erupt. And some of them will work temporarily and get him uh, stature and help his influence grow. But there's no way he'll be able to hold back or negotiate or find a political solution to all the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. You guys still with me this morning? Guys online, this is going to be a bad time. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, 
And they were told to wait a little while longer till the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So now we are going to begin to see persecution against the church break out on a new level. They're not going to be told they can't preach a certain way. They're not going to be told that um, they can't gather together because of restrictions in the city. They're going to be killed. Okay? There is going to be an onslaught against Christianity like the world has never seen. Early church went through incredible persecutions during the time of Nero. They were, they were tortured and executed in the Colosseums for entertainment. They were used as torches to light streets. I could really gross you out with some of the things that they did to the early church, but that is not going to come anywhere near close to what is going to happen. In increasing waves as we go through the tribulation, churches are going to be destroyed. Christians are going to be hunted down and executed as the Antichrist begins to grow in his power. Now, these are pictures from what's happening today in hotspots of persecution in the world, like China or Nigeria or, Islam, or you know, Muslim-controlled countries. If you are a Christian in a country that is controlled nationally by the religion of Islam, um, you're given a couple of choices. One, uh, you can go to prison, and you only go to prison if you got money because they're going to send you to prison so that you pay a hefty fine to get out of jail. Or they're going to give you an opportunity to convert or be executed. And that's today. What we're seeing in the world today, you know, everybody's getting up in arms about, especially in the United States, you're seeing in pockets and cities and states, especially those that are controlled by liberal uh, governors or mayors. Um, you're beginning to see what are just deliberate targeting of churches right now um, under the guise of, Restrictions because of COVID nineteen, um, and uh, and it's it's not even theoretical anymore. It's pretty obvious what's happening. Uh, churches are being fined some of them ten thousand dollars a week because they want to open their doors and have services, and the state says no. Um, churches are having cease and desist orders uh, placed on their their doors, where the state is saying you can't meet here anymore. Some cities have threatened to tow churchgoers' vehicles from church properties. Um, now, if you're going to shut everything down as a precaution to stop the spread of a virus, then shut everything down and do it in a blanket form. That's cool. That's responsible. But what these places are doing, though, is now it's becoming more apparent how heinous this is and how targeted this is, is they're letting people open up businesses, Places of business are opened. They're letting bars open and letting people go to them. They're letting people protest in the streets in these cities, all openly without restriction, but they're saying you cannot open the doors of a church. Two and two is always four. Okay? You pay attention to... Um, areas like that that show aggression. This isn't the first time either. The, the liberal agenda... Uh, is a very sinister agenda against the church. They're always going to find a way to attack the church. 
I don't get too political with that. And look, you got your Democrats, you got your Republicans. The liberal agenda is sinister and uh, just about evil at its core. You know, and there are Democrats that'll look at people coming with a liberal agenda and say, "Well, you guys need to slow down. That's crazy." You know what I'm saying? There, there are lines there. Um, but you're seeing persecution slowly, systematically work its way in in our country and other countries. Nothing compared to what's going to happen, though during this tribulation period. And this right here, the beginning of this persecution against the church is going to pale in comparison to the last half of the tribulation where you just absolutely have no choice. You're either going to uh, worship the Antichrist or you're going to have your head cut off. There is no in-between. If you can't stand for Jesus today, I can promise you, there is no way you're going to be able to stand for Jesus during this period of time. Just not going to be able to do it. Okay, so I want to challenge you, church. Let's make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? What we're seeing right now is kindergarten. This is postgraduate stuff that's going to break loose on the earth. Got to make sure we're ready for this. And here's the deal. I think as we get closer to these days, you're probably going to see global persecution against the church become more systematic. It'll happen through censoring first. It'll happen through political correctness because you cannot preach the gospel without offending or pointing out people groups that, are, that you just are not supposed to be able to talk about in a bad way. So they're going to try to censor first. And then after the censoring, you'll begin to see persecution break loose as we get closer and closer to these days. Just my opinion. Just my opinion. Verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. So now we're on the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. And the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth. As figs dropped from a tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. I'm going to read that again. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is a devastating event on the earth. Then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. On the sixth seal, something's going to happen that's going to be different in our response or the people's response to these events on the earth. We are going to, or the world is going to be, begin to recognize that God is pouring his wrath out on the earth, and they are going to want to hide in fear from the God who is judging the world. Now, there's two... Two possibilities for what's happening here when the sixth seal is open. It's a devastating event here. Two possibilities. One, um, a very literal interpretation of what we just read is happening where you are literally seeing meteorites and small asteroids in great number fall and strike the earth and bring in devastation. It's going to look something like this. Meteorites, asteroids and stuff like that. Small meteors strike the earth all the time, every day. Produce fireballs. It could be that John is seeing the sky lit up 
with an event like this. And as they hit the earth, the destruction takes place. The dust enters the atmosphere. It blocks out the sun. The moon turns red because of the dust in the atmosphere. It seems like because of the dust that the heavens begin to roll back. That's one possible way that this could play out. Nobody knows 100% sure. Um, but I think there's other places in Scripture that might point to a different event happening. And I'll talk to you about that. Um, I don't want anything to do with this. And I'll remind you again, while all this is happening, all the wars are taking place. There's still a famine. There's still um, global economic collapse. And the Antichrist is still doing his thing on the earth all at the same time. Another possible explanation for what you see happening when the sixth seal is opened here is that there is a nuclear event on the earth. You have all these wars taking place. Have y'all ever seen a nuclear explosion before? Videos of it? I want to show you some. Um, they're going to play this video for you, and as it plays, I'm just going to talk for a little bit. A nuclear explosion, devastating event. But when you see something like that take place, reading that the heavens recede like a scroll could make sense. Stars in the sky falling to earth could represent rockets delivering their payload. It could represent um, ash and fire falling from the result of the explosion. It could be fishing a little bit, but Anytime there's a nuclear explosion, there is a tremendous earthquake. Now, if this was an isolated event, I don't think that one nuclear explosion would be able to accomplish this. But if the world itself is at war and multiple detonations happen in retaliation to each other, the whole earth could shake from that. We've got more nuclear weapons to, we've got enough nuclear weapons on this earth right now to destroy this world multiple times over. There wouldn't be anything left. When one of these explosions goes off, immediately um, the area of the initial explosion becomes hotter than the surface of the sun. Everything is melted. No chance of survival. It is gone. It's going to melt. Then you've got the shock waves that go out that devastate the buildings and a heat wave that goes out that will literally catch everything on fire. The dust from the destruction goes up into the atmosphere. And if there's enough of it, it could block out the sun. It could definitely make the moon look red. People would flee to mountains, to bunkers, like listed here. Um, this is kind of speculation, though, at this point. Unless you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 that talks about the battle of Gog and Magog. The description of what happens during this battle in the book of Ezekiel is identical to what's listed here in the book of Revelation. Russia and other nations will come in to attack Israel and Israel will fight back and defeat every one of them. They'll do it so quickly, it, 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 it makes you think the only way that Israel could destroy 
armies from Russia, Iran, and, and whoever else might be involved in this at this time. You know, you don't know what the political landscape may or may not look like then, who's going to be allies and who won't. But um, the only way they could do it that quickly would be with a devastating, sweeping thing. Israel has this thing called the Samson Initiative. When if they as a nation are ever overrun or it seems like it's just impending doom, they hit the button and they take out all their enemies at the same time. And they nuke them so that they don't go down by themselves. Could be that this is happening here. The similarities between the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and what's listed here in Revelation, I'm just telling you, they're almost mirror images of each other. Uh, in Ezekiel, it talks about how Israel will spend seven months, seven months burying the dead from this battle. All the enemies that they've killed, seven months straight. Ezekiel also says that that's the first wave of cleanup. Ezekiel, if you take your time to read it, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time today, but you can read it on your own. Um, it says that after that initial wave of cleanup, that Israel will begin a second, third wave of cleanup after that. Um, a lot of people think that's in part because of the nuclear fallout that will take place because of the type of warfare. Um, the Bible says that markers will be placed next to the skeletons and remains of the dead that are left after that initial cleanup. That's consistent with procedure and what would happen in a nuclear attack. You've got a first wave of people that will go out in full gear to protect themselves, to mark the dead, and to mark um, important things with flags so that Team 2 can come out then and properly dispose of and deal with them paints a picture of a possible global nuclear war. Something on that uh, large scale has got to happen for every island and every mountain to be moved. I don't want anything to do with this. See, a lot of people talk smack and they say, yeah, I guess I'll just ride out the, the tribulation and just roll the dice. I might not go in the rapture, but I know I can probably get saved after that and I'll still be all right. You're a fool. You're just a slap. You're a fool. Okay, That's if you're not, at least at this point, part of the one quarter of humanity that hasn't been killed. Or, you know, that, yeah, or that has been killed. That's, it's crazy. There's going to be incredible devastation wreaked on the earth. Now we're getting close to the midpoint of this tribulation period. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to begin their ministry Somewhere in this period of time, nobody knows exactly when it's going to start, but somewhere in the first half, they're going to begin their ministry, and they're going to begin to go across the world preaching the gospel of Jesus, trying to get as many people saved as they possibly can. Heading into the mid part of the tribulation now, a lot of stuff is going to happen. The Antichrist, they're going to put this up on the screen for you, the Antichrist is going to break the peace treaty with Israel. The abomination of desolation will take place in the temple. What is that? The Antichrist is going to do something to desecrate the temple in Jerusalem. Some people think he's going to sacrifice an unclean animal on it. Could be that. Um, but somewhere tied to this, though, he is going to declare himself to be God, and he's going to do it in the temple. And everyone from this point on, will be required to worship the Antichrist and to take the mark of the beast. 
Now things start to get pretty bad. There is no persecution of the church and some martyrdom taking place. He is going to go after Israel and go after Christians like his very life depends on it. Because Satan is operating through him and Satan knows he's got a very limited amount of time to do the work that he's going to try to do. He's going to try to attack anything that carries the name of God or represents God because he wants to exalt himself above God. Everyone's going to be required to worship the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast. Now, everybody do this. Go, I can feel it getting tense in here. This is a lot of gloom and doom. Hey, the good news is you don't have to go through this. Okay? You don't have to go through this. You don't have to experience this during the tribulation. And the good news is you don't have to experience this kind of stuff in your life if you submit your heart to Jesus and make decisions that line up with the word of God. Okay? You don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. The mark of the beast, a lot of questions have come in about that. What do you think it's going to be? How do you think it's going to play out? What do you think um, is, 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 is going to happen? The mark of the beast, and people need to understand this, is going to happen in connection with people pledging allegiance to or worshiping the Antichrist. The two have to happen together, according to the Bible. So they're not going to sneak the mark of the beast into you with a, with a vaccine. Okay? Saw a lot of that going around the internet. Is Bill Gates somehow involved in putting the mark of the beast in the vaccine. They're going to sneak it in as a cure for COVID-19. No, it's not going to happen that way. The Bible is very clear. And even if they did sneak some kind of chip or something into the vaccine, that's not going to be the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast requires, in conjunction with receiving it, that you pledge allegiance to and worship the Antichrist as God. There has to be a willful choice there, is what I'm saying. They can't sneak attack you. Make sense? So they're not going to sneak in. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of VIPs and high-up um, people high up in the political world, um, even special forces people, will um, have little microchips implanted in them so that um, they can have their bios measured all the time. And if they need medical assistance, they know what's going on. And if somebody's out in the field um, in the military, they know whether or not somebody's been wounded or not. And they're able to track location also to prevent abduction if you're a VIP or political um, high up. Also, to see where you're at if you're in a military operation so that they can coordinate it better while they're able to see you, your biometrics, and then see the enemy at the same time. That's not the mark of the beast. Because you're not making a willful choice in that process to worship Satan or the Antichrist, who last time I checked hadn't shown up just yet, at least in a way that we're going to be able to recognize. So what is it going to be? What is it going to look like? How is it going to play out? Well, let's look at the wording, okay? Let's look at the wording and the Greek words associated with the mark of the beast and the numbers associated to the mark of the beast. You've got two words here. You've got the word karagma, and then you've got stigma. Karagma means to scratch or etching. Stigma means to stick or prick. 
Now, before we have the technology that we had today, a lot of people would think that there was going to be some kind of barcode engraved on you that they would be able to scan. Or you might have some kind of tattoo or marking on you. You know, they will let people know that you had received because of the words etching or to stick or to prick. But with technology that we have today, we know that it's probably not going to play out that way. It could be that because it says to scratch or etch, that there might be a visible symbol. The Bible says you're going to take this mark on your right hand or on your forehead. There could be a visible symbol on your hand or on your forehead so that you can be identified by law enforcement or the military or whoever the beast is going to employ to be his force on the earth at that time so that you can be easily recognized. Um, Because you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything without having taken the mark of the beast. That's what the Bible says. So your choices are receive this thing or be cut off from society and you run the risk of running to the woods somewhere to fend for yourself and hope you don't starve to death or you are going to be executed. They will cut your head off. That's what you're looking at. I wouldn't bank on running to the woods to hide and survive. Do you really think that there's anywhere in the world right now that you could hide that you could not be found? Even if you go to the most remote location If they want to find you, they're going to find you. And if they're systematically hunting people that have not pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist at this time, which they will be, they're going to find you. There's nowhere you're going to be able to hide. So it could be something etched, some kind of symbol where they could see you. But those things could be forged, though. You could fake that. It could be copied. It could be duplicated. How many of you have ever heard of this little thing called the Verichip? Heard of the Verichip? If you heard of the Verichip, put your hand up in the air. Verichip is a very small, I mean small, 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 small chip that they have right now that can be injected into the body. A lot, like I said, VIP, special forces, stuff like that. They have these chips injected into them for the purpose of tracking and all of that. That technology is here today. That chip could be implanted because part of the definition is to stick or to prick a better and in interpretation is to stick or to put into. So it hints to the fact that there might be some kind of subdermal implant to the mark of the beast. Not just a marking, but something put in under the skin. That chip would be a great candidate because you could go into a place. Think about it. Your, your debit cards right now have got what inside of them right now? You got chip cards right now, right? To track all your finances. So in this chip, they could put all your financial information. They could put all of your medical information. And they could also track you anywhere that you go, anything that you do. It's all right there in that chip. So you go in to buy something, and there'll be a scanner there. You put your hand down, and it reads the chip, but it also has the ability maybe to read your fingerprints part of positive identification nobody else has your fingerprints but you nobody else has a retinal pattern in their eyes like you do no duplicates you are unique in the world and so two of the best ways to identify somebody is with a fingerprint or with a retinal scan and in high security facilities you've got to come in and put down 
your hand so they scan your prints and they read your retina at the same time to make sure that you are who you say you are and you get access to these places. It's highly plausible that something similar is going to be employed because of what we know now with the technology that we have. You walk in to buy something, you put down your right hand, it reads the chip, it identifies you, they know you're part of Team Antichrist and you're able to buy what you need to buy, sell what you need to sell and go home. Or you walk up to an ATM and you put down your hand and it reads your retina and it reads the chip in your head or in your hand. But this this is nothing because you have to pledge your allegiance to the Antichrist and worship him as God in order to get this. See, this represents circumstantial pressure to comply. There are going to be countless people that will refuse to comply because of the condition of their heart and their relationship with God at the time. And they'll be killed for it. There will be plenty of people because of the condition of their heart. They're going to give in under the guise of outside pressure. But it's not the outside pressure. It's the condition of their heart that's going to cause them to surrender their allegiance to the beast. Why do you say that, Josh? Well, I would never... I would never take the mark of the beast. I would never swear my allegiance to the Antichrist. I would never turn my back on God. I would never do that to save my life. I wouldn't sacrifice a moment of pain. I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sacrifice my eternity for just a little, avoiding a, a, a moment of pain. I, I wouldn't do that. There's more to me than that. But I look at the church today. And I look at Christianity today, and we're not taking a mark of the beast. But I'll tell you what, we're bowing down to the world in more ways than one as a church right now. Don't fool yourself into thinking that the mark of the beast is going to be the icing on the cake. It's just going to reveal the condition of the heart of the people at the time. Okay, we've already bowed down to society. We've already put our kids in sports at the expense of putting them into the youth ministry. We've already taught our children, that events and activities are more important than being in the house of God. We bow to society. We've already chased the almighty dollar and taken jobs that are going to make us work all kinds of schedules and keep us out of the house of God and said money and a job is more important than my commitment and priorities to the kingdom of God. We've already bowed down to porn. We've already bowed down to the idolatry of sports. We've already bowed down to the pressures. Listen, more people worship at the altar of a political affiliation right now in this country than I have ever seen in my life. And most of them show up in church every Sunday. Their hearts are divided. We've already pledged allegiance to a world system and denied the very God that we're called to serve y'all are way too quiet way too quiet online right now well the mark of the beast is horrible I'd never do that you're all so many of us are already bowing down so many of us are already bowing down if the rapture were to happen right now, you know how many of us would be left in this room, much less those watching online? You know how many people would show If it happened on a Saturday, how many people would show up to church on Sunday not recognizing that anything would have happened? Especially if they hadn't watched the news. We're selling out, guys. I have not sold out. Really? Then let's talk about the last time you opened up the Word of God 
and read the Word of God. Let's talk about the last time you prayed and spent time in the presence of God. Let's talk about the last time you invited somebody to church or talked to somebody about Jesus. Let's talk about how real your faith really is. We're really good at showing up to church and putting on the guise of Christianity, but there's no fruit produced in our lives to point to the fact that it's authentic and real. Don't look me in the eyes and tell me you've got a heart for God if you don't have the fruit lined up to show that that heart is right. I would never bow down to the beast. I would never, but we do it because we're, we're comfortable as a church. We're comfortable in our homes. We're comfortable with society. We don't know what it's like to be persecuted. We don't know what it's like to be under that kind of prayer. We don't know what it's like to have to make a choice. You, you're either going to deny your faith or you're going to be killed. We don't know what that's like. If it's not here, if it's not real here, if it's not real here now, there's no way there's no way it's going to be real in that moment. See, those are just outside pressures that reveal the true condition of your heart. Make sense? Where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart this morning? Are you distracted? Are there idols in your life that are coming before your walk with God? Pastor Josh, that's kind of that's pointed, that's kind of hard. i got to preach this the way that God told me to preach it this morning because the church is way too comfortable, way too comfortable. There are too many people dying and going to hell right now because we as a church are way too comfortable. And we have every opportunity to let people know without restriction pretty much in this country, to let people know about Jesus and what he's done in our lives and what he can do in their lives. I don't want to squander that opportunity. I don't know about you. How's your heart? How's your heart? Bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. This is more of a message to the church than anything else today. Guys, listen, we have got to be serious about this thing. We have got to dial in our walk with God like we never have before. Not just because of what we may read about happening in the book of Revelation, but we've got to think when we stand before God, we're going to give an account for our lives and we're going to give an account for what we did or didn't do with Jesus. And I don't want to have to look my Savior in the eyes and say, I didn't love you enough. And I didn't love those people enough to let them know about you. I didn't take your sacrifice on the cross serious enough to not put other things in my life in front of them. I got distracted. I, I, I don't want to have to say that. How's your heart this morning? Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to ask you a question today. You know right now the condition of your heart. That's the beautiful thing about this. You know whether that relationship with God is real and authentic or it's not. You know if there are idols in your life that have taken place. The the, the position that Jesus is supposed to have. They're sitting on a throne that doesn't belong to them. That throne belongs to Jesus. There's political affiliation on that throne this morning. There are causes and social issues on that throne this morning. There are jobs on that throne this morning. There are children on that throne this morning because they can become just as much an idol as anything else. There's activity, there's distractions sitting on the throne of hearts 
people in this place and people watching online. And Jesus is reminding us today, guys, listen, that spot is mine. That spot's mine. Let's get rid of those distractions. Let's get rid of those idols. Let's get rid of all of those things that rob our passion and distract our passion and our focus. And let's dial it back in on Jesus. You hear today and you say, Pastor Josh, man, my heart is a little divided. My heart is I, it's just not right. I need to get my heart right this morning. There's some idols. There's some stuff distracting. There's some stuff pulling away. And I need to get my heart right and focus this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and I want you to look at me. You guys watching online, I want you to respond to this just like I was in the living room with you or the kitchen with you right now. Here we go. One. Two. Heads bowed, eyes closed, all around here, no one looking. This is between you and God, and I'm going to be a witness this morning. Three. Lift your eyes and look at me if that's you this morning. I see yours, I see yours, and I see yours. Praise God for you. I see yours right there. I see you, and I see you in the back. Praise God. Praise God. Online, don't miss out on this. If you need to make a change and make a decision, grab this moment. Grab this moment. Don't let it pass you by. I need to get my heart right with Jesus in this place today. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet and looked at me, look at me right now. I want to pray with you this morning. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you. I see you back there. Praise God for you. I just want to pray with you this morning. All across this place, let's stand to our feet. You guys watching online at home right now, let's just get focused and dial into what's happening here. A lot of people lifted up your eyes. I love what God is doing during this series because he is bringing us back into focus by reminding us of what is going to happen in the future. We got a lot of work to do. and We can't afford to be distracted, church. Now listen, I don't want anyone in here to feel condemned. That's not my goal. I don't want anyone in here to feel guilty. That's not the goal. What I want is us as a church and for me to be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit so that God can put his finger on whatever those issues are and bring about the change that he wants in your life and in my life and everyone watching online. That's how it works. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I don't want that. That doesn't produce anything. But if God is doing a work in your heart and in your life, then I think that's a beautiful thing. That's what we want here today. A lot of people lifted eyes and looked at me, and I believe there's going to be a a lot of people online responding to this as well. I'm going to pray, and I want everyone in this place to repeat this prayer after me. Let's get our hearts aligned and focused on Him. Okay? Everyone repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, you see me. You see right through me. There's nothing I can hide from you. So Jesus... I give you my heart and I ask that you forgive me. Forgive me for being distracted. Forgive me for sin in my life. Forgive me for idols that I let take the place that you should have. I choose you. I don't want anything this world has. I choose you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for me. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Let's praise God for what just happened in the hearts and lives of the people.